This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Depends on them. Therefore, don't talk to me, talk to them. So what, what God is telling the Jewish nation, according to Rashi, is, I can't help you. I can't do a miracle here. I cannot split the Yam. But you, human beings, Klaistro, you can do a miracle. I can't, but you can. We can do a miracle and God can't. What, what's, what's going on here in this passage? It doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer, I'm gonna tell you the answer. So sometimes in life, Davening can't help you. When can Davening not, I mean, Davening can always help you, but sometimes there's things that could help much faster and can definitely help you. When, when is, when is Davening not so helpful for the moment? When you want a miracle. You want a miracle. Why? Because what happens when a person davens? So you daven, Hashem should help you. The malach, right, the mekatrig, the anti-malach, goes up to Hashem and says, Him? He's davening to you? Last time he went to shul, he was on his phone. He didn't have kavana. He disturbs guys by davening. He never comes to you unless there's a problem. Mekatrig's job, right, it's a court case. And you're asking for a miracle. Mekatrig's job is to make sure that doesn't happen. So he opens up your books and he does an audit. And if they open up your books in Shemayim, it's not good. You don't want your books ever to be opened in Shemayim. Once a year they're opened in Shemayim, and that's a new kipper, or Shaniyam kipper. And it's usually not good. And so you have to dominate and you have to fast. Because, now, the question you'll ask is, doesn't Hashem know what's in your book? So what do you have to open them for, right? So the way I can explain it to you is, I, I gave a share, not, it wasn't even for boys, it was in a community about 10 years ago, about Ayin Hara. Because there are a lot of people, I don't believe in it, and if I don't believe in it, it can't affect me. So a lot of people don't believe that Ayin Hara even exists. So I said, okay, I'll give a share. I spent two months digging and digging and digging and getting all the information on Ayin Hara. It's fine, I'm very into Ayin Hara, right? Rukubalim, Paulette, all the stuff. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it just a fairy tale? Right? So, there's a Rashi in Chumash. And the Rashi in Chumash says that when Yishmael, when the second time when Hagar took Yishmael out, by Yosem al-Shikma, she put Yishmael on her shoulders. Rashi asks, why would she have to carry? He was by Mitzvah, I don't know how old he was. He was an older kid. Why would Hagar, his mother, have to carry him on her shoulders? Rashi says, because he, he was sick. So Rashi asks, how could he be sick? The first sickness happened by Yaakov Avinu. People used to die, they used to sneeze, and then the Shema would go out and they would die. Yaakov Avinu, Damit Hashem, that if a person dies like that, they don't have the time to do tshuva, bring sickness into the world. So sickness came into the world by Yaakov Avinu. So how could Rashi say that she, she carried her on her shoulders, right? That he was sick. How could he be sick? There was no sickness until much later. So Rashi answers, Kivain Shenitain Sara Nitain Ainhara Yishmal. Sara gave Yishmal and Ainhara, and a sick sickness, natural sickness, 
didn't happen to Yaakov Avinu. But Ayin Hara had the power to give sickness even before the sickness of Yaakov Avinu. It's a Rashi. It's not a Medrash. It's not Kabbalah. It's not some Svarty thing, you know, that we don't believe in. It's that and the other thing. It's not from a Chacham. It's a Rashi. And I will read it to you because what happens is people send me emails and they're like, so I don't, where did you see that Rashi? So this way, if I read it from inside, we'll see where she carried him. So this is after, this is after Yitzchak is born because he was making trouble with Yitzchak. Uh, Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Pasig Yudalid. Thank you very much. Pasig Yudalid. Perek of Aleph for all those who are watching or listening and Pashas Vayera. Okay, listen to this. Vayashkim Barama Baikim Yikach Lachim Bechemas Mayim. Avram got up in the morning and he took bread and water. Vayitin al Hagar. And he gave it to Hagar. Uh, some al shikma, she put it on her shoulders, that's a yellow and the child on her shoulders, the Shekhendi center, Rashi. Pasigidala. Pasigidala Rashi. Here we go. That's a yellow. Afayelet some al shikma. Even the child, he, she put on her shoulders. Shehechnisa, bo, sara, ayin ra. Listen to this Rashi. Sara, Gave Yishmol and Ayin Hara, Chama, and he got fever. Rashi, and he got fever. Below Baraglov, and he couldn't walk. So anyone who doesn't believe in Ayin Hara, Ayin Hara started all the way back with Tzarimenu and and um, Yishmol. Now, if you want to know the power of Ayin Hara, there's another Rashi. And the other Rashi is an unbelievable Rashi. And the second time, I believe it's in... Kisisa? Kisisa or Mishpatim. And Rashi says the following. That the second time Hashem gave us the Luchos, there was no fire, no Kailais, no Brachim, no Eish. He just gave us the Luchos. It just says, V'yitin Hashem, he just gave us the Luchos with nothing. Rashi says, why did Hashem... The first time he had fireworks and the whole world shook and the whole world knew it says and the Gemara says they ran to Bilam and they said, Oh my gosh, Hashem's destroying the world, the world is shaking. So there was a there was a whole show. When we got the first Luchos, the world was shaking, there was fire and thunder and speakers and you could hear it across the world. It was it was unbelievable. Says Rashi. The second time Hashem did it quietly, because the first Luchos was broken, so what it says, Hara. Because when the whole world heard that the Jewish nation, lightning, thunder, and everything, what's going on? And Bilam said, they're getting klichemda, they're getting something very special. Because Hashem chose them, because they're very special, they were all jealous. Why them, not us? Right? So the luchos were broken. So he said, Rashi says, something that God created with his own hands was broken because of Ayin Hara. That's the power of Ayin Hara. So how does Ayin Hara work? How does Ayin Hara work? What? Yosef Tzadik can't get an Ayin Hara. Because he got a bracha. He got a bracha from his father. If a person is also, if a person is born in Adar Shani. 
Yosef Atzalik. Anyone from Shevet Yosef? No, can... no, anyone from Shevet Yosef. The Talmud Hagim says anyone from Shevet Yosef, anyone born in in Adrasheni, can get an Ein Hara. Baruch Atonin Lecholim Shachni Varo. What's the mechanics of an Ein Hara? The mechanics are as follows. If I, if someone just parked in front is new Maserati, I love Maseratis, and I'm like, I'm giving you an example. I haven't told Maserati anyway, but okay. But anyway, so I love cars. So I don't love cars. I find cars interesting. Wealthy loves cars. I don't love cars. I love Hashem. But I find cars interesting. Okay? So anyway, got to be careful today what you say. Somebody, somebody might be taping you, right? Um, so this guy comes into my share and he's like wearing a Ferrari jacket so it's his Ferrari right and I'm like oh my gosh do you see that red Ferrari outside why does this kid young kid deserve a Ferrari I'm working my whole life I'm, I'm, I'm being a car of kids I'm working for Hashem Hashem how come you gave this kid a Ferrari not me that's an iron horror but if I say wow nice car right I wish I had such a car. That's not an Einhar. I don't want to have a Ferrari. But when I but when I say why do you have an I what what happens? So I tell you what happens. When I say why do you have something I don't, my Malach, right, runs up to Shemayim and calls court. Court! Assemble the court. Court shows up. What's going on? I'm the Malach of Zachiah Wallstein. And I wanna know why this kid named whatever Eli Malach has a Ferrari and he doesn't. Now Hashem is MS. He's truth. So Hashem has to open the books because he has to answer the Malach. He has to answer the Malach. He sits on his kisei of MS, of Din. So he has to answer the Malach. So now we got to open his books and see, Taka, why does he have a Ferrari and Wallerstein doesn't? Now once you open our books, all the Averos we did from day one are there and they're going to take that Ferrari away. Because I, my Malach, opened your books. My Malach went to the IRS and said, check them out. It's an audit. That's what it is. And when you have an audit, you never walk out clean. So, that's why when a person gets an Ayanahara, right? So, what did, what did the world do? The world said to Hashem, why the, the Jewish nation, if they avoid the Zorah and everything that they've done, why do they deserve to get your Torah and not us? Malachim wanted to, wanted to know, once that happened, have a good day. Because once we were being judged, look what happened. So, that's an Ayin Hara. An Ayin Hara opens the books of the other person. And sometimes you can be so careful and not have anything. Right? You can have a rip in your jacket and some guy's jealous. Some people are just jealous and they're like, why does he have a rip in your jacket and I don't? Some people, it's not because you have a Ferrari, it's not because you have a fancy car, they just have an Ayin There's a very big question that Tamar Hagim asked. Why is it called an Ayin Hara? Why isn't it called a Nayim Hara? It's not one eye. You're not, you're not looking at the Ferrari like this. Ooh, I like that Ferrari. Right? You're looking with two eyes. So you have two bad eyes. You don't have one bad eye. So why is it called Ayin Hara? It should be called a Nayim Hara. It should be called a Nayim Hara. You know the story with Kinnah and Sinna. So Kinnah is jealousy and Sinna is hatred, right? Kinnah and Sinna are walking down the street. Hatred and jealousy are walking down the street. They meet a king. And the king wants to play with them. So he says to the two of them, he says, this is the deal. Whatever you ask me for, anything. You ask me for a million dollars, whatever you want, I will grant you. But the, 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 the guy who asks me, I will grant it. The other guy, I will give double of what the guy who asked me got. So each one is like, 
I'm not asking because he's going to get double, right? So I'm not going to ask a million dollars because he's going to get he's going to get he's going to get two million dollars. I don't want him to get right. If people who are jealous would rather cut their nose to spite their face, right? That's, that's the same. So so the two of them are standing there and they're like, I'm not asking first. And the other guy's like, I'm not asking first. They're both like, going to ask. Finally, Kina starts smiling. He says, I'll ask first. So the king says, okay, what could I give you? He says, knock out one of my eyes. Okay, you have to think about it. That means he knocks out both of the other guy's eyes. So even though you're knocking out one of my eyes, Kina, it bothers you so, it's so, even if you get hurt, it's like, but he gets hurt more. <coughs> That's why, sort of in our psyche, right? When you, when, when someone goes through pain, we always tell them, you think that's bad? You know what happened to the other guy? It's much worse. And sort of makes you feel better. Why does it make you feel better? You went, you're, go, you're going through what you're going through. Why does it make you feel better? Because if, because if he has it worse than me, it makes me feel better. It's sort of our, a human psyche. That's why everybody watches. Everybody watches. Why do we watch the news? Right? They tried about 10 years ago to come up with a news station. Good, it was called Good News. This baby was born today. This building was built today. Right? Only good news. They had a couple of advertisers, three months they were gone. You don't want to watch good news. Good news makes you feel bad. Because if something good happened and didn't happen to you, it makes you feel bad. So we watch earthquakes. All these people dying, volcanoes, and we sit there by the TV and we're like, oh, I feel so bad for them. But deep down you're like, oh, it didn't happen to me, it happened to them. So people continuously want to watch bad, and you all know that the state, the, the, the stations, right, that sell the most are the ones that have the most bad. So all these silly magazines, the Inquirer, all these magazines who have bad news about people. Just bad, 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 bad news, right? Everybody likes to watch. Especially bad news about actors. That's why the, the new, these newspapers, these rags, they call them, make so much money. Why do you, why do you, anyone in this room or anybody in the world care about this actor and this actress? And the answer is because I'm jealous of them. Actor, actress, Hollywood, big house, famous. So now if they're getting divorced, or he died in a car crash, I'm like, ha! Thought you had more than I did. No, you don't. The psychology that sells all this is that you want, you feel better when something bad happens to someone else. It's psychology. So that's the story with the, the whole story with the kinna and the sinna. Okay, anyway. How'd we get there? Where are we going with that? What? So I and her. Right. So why is it called one eye? And the answer is, beautiful answer. By the time and hug him, he says, because if a person would look with both eyes, he would never be jealous. What does both eyes mean? Both eyes means that you have a clear vision. If you understood that this person has whatever he has, because that's what Hashem wants to give him, and that's what he deserves, whatever, for whatever reason, but that's what he's supposed to have, you wouldn't be jealous. The reason you're jealous is because you're only looking with one eye. Two eyes means clarity. It's time and hug him says this. If you would look with clarity, you'd say, what, is, what does his Ferrari have to do with me? If I'm supposed to have a Ferrari, I'll have a Ferrari. What, what, because he's married, and I'm not married, so I'm jealous of him because he's married and I'm not married. He being married, that's his time to get married. It's not my time to get married. So a person who looks at things with two eyes understands, doesn't give an eye in horror. A person who looks at something with one eye, right? Small eyed, right? So to say, he will give an eye in horror. So, when you need a miracle to happen, they open your books. And once they open your books, no miracle is going to happen. Most of the time. Unless you're uh, the biggest guzzle in the world. So Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu this secret. And he was saying to him, that no matter how long you're going to stand by the Yam and Davin, it's not going to split. Why not? 
Because the yam nature is not to split. And the yam said to Hashem, Let's open their books. Did you want me to split for the Jews and not for the Mitzrim? What's the difference? The Jews and the Mitzrim both served Avodah Hashem is sitting on his throne of MS and Din. What's he answering, the Yam? They're not? They are. Uh, so the Yam, so Hashem said, but I promised, I promised when I created the world that you would split. So the Yam said to Hashem, it's a magic. Yam said to Hashem, that's right, but that was after 400 years, and they're only there 210. So bring them back in 190, I'll split. So he wasn't splitting. And Hashem told Mashabeinu, I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on the, the Kisei of Din, of MS. I don't have an answer to give them. I can't split it. I can't split it because I'm Din and I'm MS and they don't deserve it. So Mashabeinu like, so we're gonna be, like, what are we gonna do? So Rashi said, Hashem told Mashabeinu, don't talk to me. Talk to them. And what Hashem say? One word, be so. Tell them to go into the Yam. What does that mean? So it's a very big secret that God told Moshe Rabbeinu here. And any one of us can do this. And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, if you want a miracle, if you want to break nature, you want me to break nature, the only way to do that without opening your books is for you to break nature. If you break nature, then you have a right, which is a very big thing in Shemayim, to say, Mida Kenege Mida, I broke nature, right? So I can ask Hashem to break nature. Where do we see this? By Rachli Menu. Rachli Menu, in, in Medrash of Eicha, Rachli Menu says to Hashem, Hashem the, the Jews are being destroyed, the destruction of the base of Migdash. Rachli Menu says, why are you destroying them? Hashem says they saved, they served Avoy Dezara, right? Kill Khan, I'm a jealous God, it's an expression. They served Avoy Dezara. And Shari Menu said, right? Avram, Avram prayed, Hashem said, I'm not listening. Yitzhak prayed, Hashem said, I'm not listening. I read it always in Medrash Yaakov prayed, Hashem said, I'm not listening. Moshe prayed, Hashem said, I'm not listening. Aaron, I'm not listening. I'm not listening to Yom I'm not listening to anybody. Rachel Menu jumped up and said, hold on. Time out. I was underneath the bed by, by, by Leah and, and, and Yaakov. I gave her the secret words, right? My sister was taking my place and I wasn't jealous, and I'm a human being, if I'm not jealous, and I forgave, and I'm a human being, you're God? You're jealous? You can't be jealous. I'm showing you that I'm not jealous. How could you be jealous? Hashem said, you're right. I'll save them. And he listened to Rachel Mavaka. That's what he listened to. She forced his hand. She forced his hand. Why? Because God is always me that connecting me to what you do, he does. Okay. So Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu the secret over here. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Listen, I can't help you. You can dive into your blue in the face. Your books are open. You don't deserve it. I can't help you. But if you get somebody to go into the yam to show that they believe in me and they're willing to break their nature, break nature, then I can do it. So, Nachshim ben Amidah jumped into the water. Says the Medrash, the water went up to his chest. He went deeper. The water went over his mouth. He went deeper. Until the water went over his nose. When the water went over his nose, the yam split. Why? Because even if the water is up to here, the derech teva through nature, you can breathe. But the minute, naturally, he could not breathe, which meant that he's sacrificing his life for Hashem, right? I cannot breathe naturally. So he forced a miracle. Because he broke his nature, so he can ask Hashem to break nature. And that's what the secret here was. The secret was, 
Hashem's like, I can't help you. You have to do something here to make it happen. Sometimes prayer is very powerful, but sometimes you just have to do a miser, right? The, the, the mission the picture says, Lo Elo Sometimes you got to step up and you got, you got to do something. Just sitting there is not enough. And 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 I find it very interesting that marriage, zivug, shidduch is kikriyas yamsuf. It's the same thing. To make a to make a marriage work, you really have to break your nature because a woman's nature and a man's nature are so far apart. It's unbelievable. So how do you how do you shidduch is kosher? It's as hard as kriyas yamsuf. Is a beautiful vart. Listen to the vart carefully. Is Kriya Samsov hard? No. Tashem? What? What? It's nothing. So what does it mean? Kriya as hard as Kriya Samsov. Because Kriya Samsov was very hard. Because all the tefillah in the world couldn't cause the Yam to, to split. So it's as kosher as Kriya Samsov that it, you had to, to do Kriya Samsov. We had to go against our nature. So is Zivug. Zivug is kosher kikriyas yamsuf. Zivug to take a man and a woman and put them together. Yes, they both have to break their nature. If they're going to be in their natural state, it's not going to work. A man has a certain nature and a woman has a certain nature, and they're so far apart. And even in shiduchim, you know, guys have this picture and they want this and they want that. No, my rebbe always says that you have to have achna. You have to break your nature. You want this? I want this. this is my list. My list. Hello, you got to break yourself a little bit. There has to be a achna, right? He said, my rebbe always says, Rebbe Gamliel, it's a beautiful part. He says, a human being can't jump unless he bends his knees. So in, in Gashmias, in the physical world, if you want to jump, the further you bend your knees down, the higher you can jump. He says, the Zaira says that in Ruchnias and Gashmias, they mirror each other. Right? Physical world and the spiritual world. The higher you break yourself, the higher you, the more you, I mean, the more you bend, in, in your, in the more you're on of, you're modest and you bend yourself, the higher you can jump in, 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 in Ruchmiz. There's nothing to talk about. Guys are walking around with their nose up in the air. The marriage cannot be good. Cannot be good. You have to bend sometimes, yeah. You have to say you're sorry. Even though you're right. Right? Sometimes you're right. But you have to say you're sorry. And sometimes even though you don't want to go shopping because you hate shopping, you got to break your nature and you got to say, you know what, I love her. For, but what is, what is love? I had a whole discussion with a girl about this today. What is love? Love is sacrifice. Love is um, total commitment. What's total commitment? Sacrifice. If I've committed to you totally, that means I'm willing to sacrifice who I am. It doesn't mean sacrifice cutting, you know, getting your head chopped off. It means that my wife wants me, wants to go somewhere. I really don't want to go. I'm tired. I don't like shopping. I don't want to go to this wedding. I don't really like them, right? But I'm willing to sacrifice and to break my needles for that other person. Vice versa, the same thing. It's not a one-way street. Sometimes I want to go to a game or I want to do something that my wife doesn't want to do. And she has to sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice is a very harsh word. Yo, that's what love is. You never saw a Hallmark card saying love is sacrifice, you know? Sacrifice yourself for your wife today. No, that's not how they sell it. But the truth is that we know that when God demanded the greatest love of Avram, he asked for Akedas Yitzchak. He asked for him to sacrifice the greatest thing in the world, which was his son. That's the greatest love. That's hard. To sacrifice yourself. To who do you love more than yourself? What do you mean I have to go? Why do I have to go? Well, you, you know what? I, I, you didn't go. That, so it's, a, it's, and, and it's very hard. Couples have to learn that, you know? And, and it's not, it's not easy to break your midos for somebody else. But that's, that gives you the kayak to, to, to do miracles. And therefore, over here by the Yam, 
Hashem taught us a very big lesson. You want to do a miracle? You want a miracle? Then you have to break your nature. If you want me to break nature, to change nature. So there's a very beautiful story. I think I did say it here. But it's a, it's a sort of a proof of what I'm saying. So there was this, um, there was this little boy. I think he was like 10 years old, maybe a fifth grader, sixth grader. And, um, one day his Rebbe calls his parents and says, uh, Mr. So, Mr. and Mrs. So and so is I have an emergency with your son. You need to come to Yeshiva. I need to talk to you. Okay. They come running down to Yeshiva. The Rebbe pulls him into the room and says, listen, I don't know what's going on, but for the last two months, a true story. Brought down in Elena uh, Shabayach by Rabbi Zilberstein. So he writes the story. It's an amazing story. So, so, so the Rebbe calls them down and they're like, what's going on with my kid? And they're like, listen, for the last two months, he, I see in the gym and in the lunchroom, sometimes in class, he began talking to himself. He mumbles things under his breath. And um, it's very disturbing. And I think mentally something's going on. You know, a kid starts talking to himself. You need to take him to a therapist. So the parents said to the Rebbe, you know, it's very interesting. We saw the same thing at home. The last two months, sometimes when he's with his siblings, he talks to himself. And we were nervous about it, but we didn't hear anything about it from school. So we figured, yeah, hey, he'll get past it, he'll go, you know, he'll grow out of it. But now that you're telling us he's doing it in school, we're going to take him to a therapist. Okay? They make an appointment Friday to go to the therapist. They take this kid, a little fifth grader to the therapist, he sits down. And the therapist says to him, so um, the first thing I'd like to know is, you know, I hear that you're talking to yourself, uh, you're mumbling. If you could just tell me what you're saying, are you cursing people under your breath? Um, are you calling them names? Um, are you telling yourself stories? Like, if you could just let me in on this, what are you saying? This boy's like hemming and hoing, I don't really, I'm really not supposed to say, I don't really want to tell you. Like what? He's hemming and hoing, but it's like I need this. It's like like modesty. And, and, the, and the therapist, no, no. Whatever you tell me, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody. You could tell me. He says, I know, but I don't know. She, she, you know, the t- school's not going to take you back unless you, you tell me what's going on over here. He says, okay, but you can't. I don't really. If you rather you don't tell anybody. So she says, what's going on over here? Listen to this. So he says, two months ago, his rebbe told the story to the class. And the story was that a couple who didn't have children for 14, 15 years came to Chaim Kainevsky in Bnei Brak, the Gadol Hadar, for a bracha to get children. They had no children. So Chaim asked, what did the doctor say? And uh, the man said, the doctor said that my wife can't, and they can never, she doesn't produce the egg, whatever it is. She can never have children. He says, why are you coming to me? I don't do miracles. Like, ah, Hadar, maybe, a bracha, whatever it is. He goes, I don't do miracles. He says, but I'll tell you what, find someone who got insulted in public and get a bracha from them. They do miracles. So they're very disturbed. They're just kind of blowing them away, blowing them off. So they're like, okay, we'll find someone. But in the meanwhile, can you give us a bracha? And he's like, I, I don't do miracles. Find someone that was insulted in public and didn't answer back. He walked out, totally depressed. You go to a ghetto for a bracha, we can give a bracha. Right? They figured they're not having children. So have a good day. A year later, she's at a wedding in B'nai Brak. And the, the Kala's mother and father are divorced. And it was a very, very bad divorce. So they didn't invite the mother to this wedding. The father made the wedding. I don't even know if the kids got along with the mother anymore. The mother wasn't invited to the wedding. But she decided 
If you want one dance with the daughter, she's coming to the wedding anyway. Kamsa by Kamsa. This is the same story. And she, told, she shows up at the wedding by the dancing. And she walks in, and the ex-mother-in-law is there. And she starts to scream and yell, You ruined my son's life and my grandchildren's life. Get out of my wedding. You weren't invited. And she's like, just, just, just let me dance one time around. Dance. I'll throw you out. I'll get, get mommish, embarrassed her. Like no one's been, this, the women on the side were like, they were like, oh my gosh. And they never saw someone get embarrassed like that. This mother-in-law was pounding at her. She didn't say one word. She turned around. She walked out. Mommish, red-faced, walked out. This girl, this woman who didn't have children was at the wedding. And all of a sudden it hit her. Oh my God, this, this girl just got so embarrassed. Didn't answer. Here's my chance. So she chases her out of the wedding. She turns around and sees this lady running after her. She thinks it's from the ex side. So she gets all scared. She's running. This woman's yelling at her. No, no, no. I want a bracha. I want a bracha. Finally, she catches up to her. And she says to her, I don't have children 14, 15 years, whatever it is. And I need a bracha for children. And she says, me? I'm nobody. You see? You see how much of a nobody I am? They threw me out of the wedding. I'm, I can't give you a bracha. She says, no. We went to a chayim. Time for someone who's embarrassed and doesn't answer. I never saw someone get embarrassed like you just did and you didn't answer. Please, this is my husband's name. This is my, this is my name. This is my husband's name. Give us a bracha. We should have a child. We don't have children. She said, listen, I don't think it's going to help you. I'll give you a bracha that next year at this time. You should have a baby. She becomes pregnant. She goes to Chaim. She tells Chaim she's pregnant. She tells him the whole story. This woman, eh? He gives her a bracha that the baby, that she shouldn't have a miscarriage. He gives her a bracha, he says, Mitzvah Hashem, it's a boy, I'll be the Sandik. It's a boy, and he's the Sandik. There's a story about Rabbi Yashav about this also, that Rabbi Yashav's mother also was embarrassed or something, and she didn't answer, whatever it is, and she gave birth to Rabbi Yashav after that. But that's where Rabbi Chaim is very into this whole, you know, don't answer back. Anyway, fine. So, they had this baby, and, and, and he was the Sandik. So the therapist says, okay, what will do with you? So the kid says, listen to this kid, he's a sixth grader. He says, well, I'll tell you the truth. She said, he says, my Rebbe, every day after we finish davening, he reads a list of sick people. And the class, because specifically little boys who didn't do sins, they have a very big kayak for, for davening. So at the end of davening, they say, Sheremal's Memamakim. And then the Rebbe reads these sick people's names that you heard of Fushlema. After this little boy heard the story, as Rebbe told him, he wrote down the names of the sick people that his Rebbe was saying, and he memorized them. And every time a boy would call him a name, at gym or at recess, or make fun of him, he would mumble under his breath the names that his Rebbe gave. But they should have refuah shalema, because if Chaim said, if you don't answer back and you get embarrassed, you have the power to do miracles. He told him, but don't tell anyone what I'm doing. So how do we know the story? Because in the end, she asked permission. She said, I have to be this. It's unbelievable. So he wasn't cursing, and he wasn't sick, and there was nothing wrong with him. He understood that you have the power. Who knows how many people he, did, he, he healed? Who knows? A person has the power. If you break your nature, you have the right to turn to Hashem and say, I broke my nature. Now you have to break nature and help and save this kid. And this secret... Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu by the Yam. And he said, I, there are times, I cannot help you. I cannot do a miracle for you. Because Bezdin Shlomayla does not let. Because it's MS. 
and you don't deserve it. But if you turn, and that's what Rashi says, a lie, you think it's up to me to do a miracle? Aleichem, it's up to you. I can't do anything. My hands are tied. It's such a deep thing. God's hands are tied, and you can untie them by going against your nature. Your mother's yelling at you and screaming at you and calling you all kinds of names, and you want to tell her something, and you're like, you know what, Ma, you're right. And I love you. And you suck it up, and you swallow it, and then you can turn around to Hashem and say, I just went so against my anger and my nature. I need your help. You know, there's a, there's a caveat, I saw it in many farm, that when a man walks down the street and there's a beautiful girl, and he turns away and he doesn't look at her, at that moment he can ask for anything. Because he's breaking his nature. There's a Gemara that says that a man walks through a woman's bathhouse. I'm not in Gittin or Kaduri, I'm not sure where the Gemara is. He walked through a woman's bathhouse, and his eyes were closed the whole time. And he came out the other side, and the Chachamim were out there, and they said, Russia, Russia, Russia. Call him a Russia. So they before him out, what do you mean Russia? He's a tzaddik. Imagine, he's in a woman's bathhouse. All he had to do was open his eyes for one second, what he would have seen. And he walked through, and he didn't open his eyes. How could you call him a Russia? And the Gemara says, because he could have walked around. He had no right to put himself in that position. So you can't, Oh, and Walsh said, let's see, I, 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 I want to buy a new car, I need, to, I, need, I need Hashem to help me out with my Parnassah, so on a 95 degree day in the middle of the summer, I'm going to go to 47th Street in Manhattan, right? And there's a bunch of people walking not dressed well, and I'll look the other way. No, that's, that, that's not the way it works. It has to be when you're not ready for it. And all of a sudden, this person, you want to look at them, and you don't, you break your, you break your nature, you break a man's nature, you break your teva, and you have a kayak. To do miracles, where naturally this person will not live, naturally this person will not have children, naturally this person on Rosh Hashanah will not have a panasa. You have a kaya to to give a bracha, or even for yourself to create to create miracles by 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 breaking your nature. And that was what Akash Baruch said over here. Don't cry to me now. Now's not the time to cry. Now's the time to force my hand. How will you force my hand? Mida can I get mida by breaking a person by breaking their nature. You want to look at a movie, you want to look at something, you've been doing it all the time, and you turn around and you say, no, not doing it. It's very hard for me. But in that, in that, in the, in, I have, now I have a kayak to do miracles. I got my own, my own, my own nature. What does, what does, what does the Medrash say? Ma vayanos. Right? What did the, what did the Yam see? Right? Right? We, we say it in, in, in Halo. Right? The Yam saw something. Vayanos, and it split. So the Medrash says, Ma rohayam vayanos. What did the Yam see? A reinational yaitsev. The, the Aron, the, that Yosef was being carried. Why did the Yom split? Because it saw the Aron of Yosef. Says the Medrash. Because they tied it in Shemayim. Mida, Kineg, and Mida. Yosef, who was the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Potiphar's wife, right? The nature of a person would have been to sin. He broke his nature. So the Yom said, you're carrying someone who created a miracle, who broke his nature, then I have to break my nature. You understand what safe life is. So every single person in this room has the power to do miracles. Now you're thinking in your head, oh, I can do this. You go ahead, Rabbi, insult me. I won't answer you. So when you're prepared for it, you can do it. But if you're not prepared for it, I can tell you. I'm the one who teaches this. And a few years ago, something happened in my seminary. I'll tell you the worst, the hardest part of it. If I got up right now and embarrassed someone in this room, and he didn't answer me back, that means what I'm saying is true. It's not true, but he, cause he's a giver. But if I would say, if I, I would take someone in this class and I would say, oh my gosh, I saw you on a motorcycle with a girl. How, how could you come to my class? I don't want you here anymore. 
And this guy is like so embarrassed. It's not true. I made it up, right? And he's so embarrassed in front of everyone. And he's like, I'm not going to answer back. When he walks out, you're all going to think because he didn't answer back, he got a motorcycle with a girl. So it's not just the not answering back, it's the consequence of not answering back. You know, if I don't answer back, right? So I teach this all the time. And something happened in my seminary. And I should have just, and I was very, somebody was spreading a rumor that was totally not true, whatever it was. And if I would have walked away from that and just let them think that, right? Or whatever it is, I would have the power to bring Mashiach. But there was no way that I was going to allow the girls in my seminary to believe what this kid was saying. So I went into every class and I said, I want to tell you, I'm very upset that you even believed this for a second. And I ripped them to pieces. Everyone, first through twelve, all four grades. And I was like, you, you don't have, you don't have, a, you don't have a car. I told, I ripped them because there was no way that they were going to insult me and say this about me. And, 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 and I'm going to walk out of here and everyone will think it's true. So here's the guy who teaches it. I couldn't do it. So yeah, when you teach it and you're listening to me, all of you, you're like, sure, yell at me, see what happens. I'm not going to say one word. But when it happens and you're not ready for it, it's very, very hard. You don't get to make do miracles because of something easy. It's very, very, very hard to break a meter. It's very, very hard to be embarrassed in public and, and, and not to answer. It's very, very hard. But it's so big. And let them think it's true. You have a kayak at that point to, to, to change the world. Okay. So, just one very interesting, we'll end with this. Don't forget, next week, 8.30, Mr. Shem, I'm very serious about this. If I don't come at 8.30, I'm not coming. In other words, it's 8.30 to 9.30. So if I show up at 9, I'm not getting, I'm not coming. If, if I'm late and it's 9.30, I'm not coming to give the share. It's either 8.30 to 9.30 or it's not happening. So it's going to happen 8.30 to 9.30. I'm not sure if I want to start with Kavayosha. I think I do. We'll see. I'd like to, I'd like to finish the whole Kabayashra, so they give one every shear, or two every shear, the very serious safer. Kabbalistic, very serious. What happens after you die? It's, that's why I'm a little bit scared to teach it, because I think a lot of guys are just gonna start dropping out. So, it's very tough, it's very real, it's very tough. What? Supper's being served at 8.30. 8.30, we're in here. So you can eat supper while I'm speaking. In the old days, like shear, guys used to eat. The rabbi told me 8.30 I have this room 8.30 to 9.30 Okay So this is What? Teach something else? No, if I'm going to teach it No, I'm saying Normal Parsha But maybe I'll start with one pair of caveats I probably will Why shouldn't I scare you? Why not? You don't, you don't deserve to be scared? You don't deserve to be scared? Well, when someone embarrassed, embarrassed you and it wasn't true, right. isn't, it, isn't it okay to defend <coughs> something by, 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 by talking back? It wasn't Hashem's name, it was my name. Okay, but if it was true, then obviously the fact that you don't say anything because, because it's true and embarrassing you and, 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 and you get that cut out. But by, by you not defending yourself when it's not true, it defamed the Torah's name because you represent the Torah. You're talking about me personally. Yeah, right, right, right. It was it was a personal insult. It wasn't a, it wasn't that the rabbi did something wrong with a girl or anything of that sort. It was a personal insult. Oh. I could have walked away from it and just left it alone. Ah. It was a personal insult. It wasn't no. If someone has some said a rumor about me, right. no, Godfrey, you have to defend. If someone comes up, if someone says this boy's a mamzer, right? The Gemara says that you have you have to you have to deny it, otherwise. People will believe that your mom's a Kayin, 
Right? Someone says he's not a client, and you just walk out. Okay, you let him call me. No, you have to say I am a client because otherwise it, it's, it's a macha on you. No, I'm talking. This was a personal thing. Some, someone said something that was totally not true. It was a personal, not not nothing to do with Torah or rabbi kind of thing. Just a personal thing. It was a, more of a business hire fire type of thing. Whatever. I just didn't go for it. They, you know, they, whatever. It was a personal thing. No, but if someone gets up and, 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 and says a, a rumor about a rabbi that he's doing something wrong, of course he has to get up and deny it. That's for sure. Alright, anyway. Um, so, just something very fascinating. Fascinating happened, happened. It's not fascinating, it's very sad, but it's very fascinating and it opened up a huge window in my brain today. And I want to share it with you. So, is a girl that's going through a lot of pain and really a lot of pain. Today was a very painful day altogether. Um, but but this girl this girl's going through a lot of pain and she's gone through a, a lot of stuff in her life. She's very young and um, she's been in a wilderness program. She's she's not she's hurt as a young kid. I don't want to go into the specifics. Anyway, she's having a very very hard time and she's not doing well at all. So she came to me. Um, today and she wrote interesting because she's coming not, not from such good education but she wrote something she wrote her feelings and she handed me this paper and um, and she told me about her pain and I always ask Hashem to help me like what to answer people are really hurt you know it's very hard to answer them I would like to read you this is amazing I mean it's, it's very sad but it's amazing and then I want to tell you what I answered her and it opened up something unbelievable. Unbelievable that I never said before and I never saw before. When you work with Hashem's children, He sends you the help that you need. Anyway, this is what she writes. She sounds like a poet. She's a young girl. But I find that a lot of people who are very in a lot of pain, they write very well. They don't talk, but they write very well. So this is what she writes. It's burning inside, burning a huge hole in every part of my body. My heart is the problem. It's on fire. It's burning and raging with so many mixed emotions. Sparks of anger, confusion, loneliness, helpliness, and, de- and despair are infused into my bloodstream, igniting my blood, sending this searing, burning sensation, and leaving holes in every part of my being, tearing through, exploding into huge, raging flame that slowly burns away all the layers until it reaches the core, my deepest part of my soul. My soul, my being, my entire me is oozing pain. I'm so done, I'm crisp and ashes, that I feel like every breath is a struggle, and I wish it's my last. I try to I try to extinguish the fire. My first attempts are telling myself, the fire is not there, I know. I try denying that the burning is there, and just drag some hidden emergency fire-resistant cells, and bring them forward because I need to move on, or at least show people that I am. Slowly but surely, the cells emerge from their membrane, I don't even know where she got these words from, and soon they're burnt to a crisp too. I have no more cells to spear. So I turn to my next method, and I try spraying some chemicals on the wounds. But I don't realize that I have to, what she's saying, by the way, chemicals on the wounds is drugs. That's what she's saying. I'm turning to drugs to put out this fire. So I try spraying some chemicals on the wounds, but I don't realize that I have to cure the initial burning the root of the flame, but I don't know where to take the strength from. I don't have anything big and strong enough that can stand against this fire. So I secretly spray more and more chemicals on the wound. 
drugs. And the wounds get worse, as we know, they don't, they don't help. And the wounds get worse and worse, and then even really strong chemicals, drugs, don't help. And the fire rages on. The wounds and burns turn to a third degree. I can't even tolerate it on any level. And it's starting to get more and more numb. People intervene, but they give me really strong drugs that are not meant for the kind of flame I'm raging inside. She's by many therapists, and she's taking all these, you know, pills, psychiatric pills, but that doesn't help the pain. That's what she's writing. In other words, I'm going to therapists, to psychiatrists, and they're giving me all these pills, but those pills don't help the fire that I have, the pain that she's in. Okay, um, I can't even I can't even tolerate it on any level. It's starting to get more and more numb. People intervene, but they give me really strong drugs that are strong drugs that are not meant for the kind of flame I have raging inside. This is, she's brilliant. She she really like a clash of tranquilizers and stimulants at once. I don't know what to do. The fire is raging and burning at every fiber of my being, not leaving a muscle or even a hair cell to help me carry on. And when things are burnt out, it's hard to get back because some things are irreplaceable and irreplaceable and gone for, uh, forever. They leave eternal scars, things like third-degree burns. That's what she wrote me today. That's, that is crazy insight. That is crazy insight. So I have this girl sitting in front of me. She's done. She's done. She's like... All my cells, everything about me, nothing works. I did drugs, I did medicine, I did therapy, I'm done. So I'm looking at this paper and I'm looking at her and I'm like, you know, you, you wrote it so beautifully, you compared your pain to fire. There's a fire raging. I used to study, um, I was very fascinated by fires and all these huge fires that they have, thousands of acres that are burning. So, you know, they have these airplanes that drop water on the fire. But sometimes the fire is so big that they can't put it out. So what they create is called a fire line. What's a fire line? So you have this huge forest, right, in California. Millions of square miles of, of wood. And this fire is, you know, raging, and it's moving down Lake Tahoe. It's moving, moving down. And you can't stop it. So what do they do? They go a mile away from the fire, or two miles away from the fire, and they start another fire. They start the fire, the firemen. Now this fire burns all the wood going this way. So when this fire hits the fire line, there's nothing to burn anymore. It has nothing to live on, so it goes out. It's called the fire line. And also, the fire, the other fire line sucks all the oxygen out of the other fire. And all of a sudden, this huge fire is out. No water, no no water, no nothing. It's out. Because the fire has to burn on something. There's nothing there. They, they burnt down all the wood. There's nothing there. It's called a fire line. That's how they put out huge fires. So I looked at her, and I said, oh my gosh. I said, your pain is fire, but love is also fire. So, the way to put out your fire is if you are in an environment where you're being loved, right, with the same emotions, the pain is an emotion, and you're being loved, I said, that's the fire line. And when that pain hits the love, 
pain gone. And I always said L-O-V-E, fix A-D-D and all those other initials, A-D-H-D, L-O-V-E is the, is the answer. And I said, you know, you'll come to my high school and we'll, we'll give you fire, we'll put out your fire with our fire. We'll create a fire line. And when your pain hits that fire line, it's not going to have anything to burn on anymore. Because there's going to be so much love there, it's not going to have anything to burn and it's going to go out. And she's looking at me and she's like, wow. And I'm like, but it runs much deeper than that. I never understood the Gemara. And the Gemara says that if Yitzhara is burning inside of you, what should you do? You should schlep him to the base Medrash. What are you talking about? And the answer is that if you're going to try to put out that fire, that taiva, girls, whatever your taiva is, that fire that's burning inside of you, and you're like, like she said, I'm trying to put it out with drugs, and I try to put it out with this, and I try to, it. it's not going to go out. What the Gemara is telling us, if you want to put out that fire, of that taiva, the Yitzhahara, there's only one way to put out that fire. You gotta create a fire line. You gotta go into the base medrash, and you gotta learn, and you gotta daven with fire, with emotion. And if you do that, Yitzhahara has nothing left to burn on. You gotta create a fire line. And that's what the Torah, Torah is called a tavlin. What a word. Torah is called a Torah tavlin. The Torah has the power, nothing else has the power to put out the Yitzhahara. Nothing. Because he's what this girl's saying. He's a raging fire. And the only way to fight fire is with fire. That's where the saying comes from. You have to fight fire with fire. It comes from the fire line. How do you put out a fire? With fire. That's how you put it out. That's what it means. Right? So, on a much deeper level, how do you fight the fire of the Yitzhahara? By creating a fire line. By, 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 by when you dive in, and when you learn, not just but the same fire you have doing the wrong things, if you create a fire doing the right things, that fire will put out that fire. Because the Yetzirah fire has nothing left to burn on. The Yetzirah's fire cannot, it's called black fire by the way, the, the fire of the, of the Yetzirah is black fire. Black fire cannot burn, cannot come across white fire. Can't beat white fire. So once it hits the white fire, it goes out. And that's what the Gemara is saying. If you're burning, you have a Yetzirah, there's only one way to get it out. You gotta slip into the base measures, and you gotta have that fire like you go to mirror any base measure. Everyone's yelling at each other and they're screaming at each other. And you don't know the Gemara, and I'm gonna take the shit in there and knock it over your head if you. That fire puts out the other fire. And the fire of love, of loving your children and loving, and loving a person, that fire, that warmth, that warmth puts out this fire that she's talking about. No drugs, and no therapy, and no, again, therapy helps, don't get me wrong. And no medicines and drugs and drinking and movies and cutting and anorexia and all the things that people do to try to put out that fire, nothing works. There's only one way to put out a fire, is to create a fire line. And what's the fire line? Love. It's a very deep lesson. And it came in, I was like, wow. She was like, wow, she'll probably write something very poetic about it, but whatever it is. I was like, I'm going to share tonight and I'm telling my boys. And I'm telling everyone who's listening to this share, you gotta create a fire line against the Yitzhahara. And even within yourself, right? You, the first person you have to love is yourself. It doesn't mean going around hugging yourself, but you have to, you have to look at the beauty of who you are. You have to look at the beauty of who you are. You have, you have to create a place that, that, that pain can't come across, that moat. It can't, it can't get across that because I built this line called love, right? And that's the same thing that a person who has a relationship with Hashem. People are close to Hashem. Right? People went through the Holocaust. They're not taking medicine. They didn't jump out of any windows. They're not cutting. They're not anorexic. I know a lot of women that went through the Holocaust who Mengele did all kinds of terrible things to them. 
None of them are anorexic. None of them are cutting. Are they in pain? Do they go through hard times in life? Absolutely. But their emuna in the Abishta, I was telling you to the girls the other day, this, 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 uh, Holocaust lady was speaking all about the Abishta, and the girls told who is that? Who's the Abishta? Never heard of the Abishta, but all the people from Europe, the Abishta is Hashem. They were, the Abishta did this, the Abishta was watching me, you lost your husband, you lost ten kids, the Abishta was there, the Abishta was with me. That's, uh, that's amazing. So I want to end with a two second story, the Eli Nishmas, that my mother told me, I said this year when I was in, in Florida. I said part of this year, not this part. This is this is mind-boggling. This is this is off the charts. But I want to tell you something. The last day I was in I was in Florida. I gave this speech about sometimes prayer is not enough, and you have to do something. So my mother told me before the speech, just in the morning, she said, "By the way, there was a woman. Her name was Adele Taub, although she lived in Borough Park on 44th Street and 10th Avenue. When my parents are German." When my parents got married, they moved from Washington Heights to, to Borough Park, and she, they owned the house, the, the Taubes owned the house, and my parents lived there, and we, we my mother was a yekka, she never made children, everything was cold. So, so this Taub taught my mother how to make children, how to make chicken soup, and also she had no children, Mengala did all kinds of, all kinds of experiments on her, so she could never have children, and um, she had no children, so she sort of, Helped my mother bring us up. So we were very close to a real Hungarian who came through who came through Auschwitz, who came through the war. So my mother said, "By the way, I just want to tell you that she just passed away. She was in a nursing home in, in Cholamoy Pesach. She passed. She passed away. An unbelievable people. Her and her husband, beautiful people, the sweetest, nicest people. So my mother, my mother didn't know what I was going to speak about. So she said, "By the way, I just have to tell you one story that when I was when I was just when I was young, whenever so." I had the three kids, and I asked Adele Tal, did it ever bother her? You know, she was very religious, much more, you know, very, very religious. You know, the hair covered, like Hasidish, whatever, very, very religious. So she, my mother asked her, did it ever bother you that, you know, you went through the whole Holocaust and you suffered so much, and, and how do you deal with it? You have no children. My mother had three kids. We lived in, how do you deal with it? You have no children. My mother asked her. She said, she said my mother's name. She said, oh, I have children. My mother said, I know that you don't have children. You always said that my children are like your children. What do you mean you have children? She says, no, I have children in Israel. My mother said, what do you mean you have children in Israel? She said, I'll tell you a story. She says, I was in Auschwitz. And she was a little girl, 13, I think, 12, 13. And one of the other girls that were with her couldn't handle it anymore. She went crazy. And she ran... Auschwitz has this barbed wire, double, triple barbed wire fence around, and she decided that she's just going to kill herself. And she, she just ran and jumped onto the barbed wire. She tried to climb, of course, and her clothing and everything got caught in the barbed wire. And 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 Adele Taub, she said that this happened many days, and the Nazis would just let the girl hang on the barbed wire until she would die. Everybody would watch this, and they would say, "This is what happens to you." And the girl would just be stuck on the barbed wire and die. And you know, no food. At night, you hear her screaming and yelling and all the wailing. Many kids were on the wall, on the wild wire. Never what the Jews went through until they were they were dead, and then they would have to take them off. So this girl jumped on, and she was in her barracks. And Adele Tau, just in a without thinking, because penalty for taking a girl off the wall, you get shot on the spot. Without thinking, she ran and she ripped this girl off the barbed wire. 
And she said, Mama, no, 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 you know, and she carried her. Of course, the Nazi guy was there. And he said, you deserve to die. And he beat her. He didn't kill her. And she, anyway, to make a long story short, this girl, she, she pulled off the barbed wire, stayed in contact with her, went after the war to Israel, had many children, got married, had many children and grandchildren. And this Mrs. Taub told my mother, she was dead. I saved her. Those are my children. Sometimes it's not enough to pray. Sometimes you just got to do. In one second, she saved and created a whole family. So those are the difference between the heroes and the people who get things done. And that's what Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now is not the time by Nitzak. Now's the time to turn around and jump and do something. So I want to dedicate this year to a lady that was very special to our family and to myself. This is Adele Taub. I don't know her Hebrew name. I'll get it. Who um, went to Shemayim. And I guess was looking down from Shemayim at a whole family, children and grandchildren, because she put her life in danger. And in one second, she pulled someone off the barbed wire. We, Baruch Hashem, don't have to pull anyone off the barbed wire. We can, we can save other Jews in a much easier, no one's shooting at us in a much easier way. And the, the difference between the people who get things done and the people who don't is just sometimes talk is not enough, says Hashem. Loma titzach. Now is not the time to talk. Now is the time to do. So my message to everyone here in this room tonight is that you don't need to be a Moshe Rabbeinu or a Chaim Kayanevsky. Just a, just a person who got, who got embarrassed and didn't answer. A person who breaks his nature. Every guy in this room, every person listening to tonight's share, you can be insulted by your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, someone at work. Just don't answer. You'll have a koyach to bring Mashiach. We should talk and see him. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.